You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel, streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. CBS Wednesday. We have so many cool, diverse people from different backgrounds, different beliefs, different upbringings, and it just keeps growing. I feel it in my I'm a citizen of the United States. I'm a hustler. I'm a big Taylor Swift fan. I'm the queen of the tribe. I am playing whatever role I gotta play. I'm gonna play this game for speed. I ain't going down like no punk. A new Survivor Wednesday on CBS and streaming on Paramount Plus. Y'all, welcome on into the Go Vols 24 7 podcast. Wes Rucker coming to you from Fort Rucker Studio here on a Friday morning. I know we normally do these on Mondays and Thursdays, but we adjusted the schedule. We did do one Thursday, it was just the baseball edition of the podcast, the Diamond Vols edition of the podcast. Today, we are here to talk a little bit of football, 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 and basketball. And to do that, I think you know where we're going to go. We're going to go to a couple different places. We're going to go to an undisclosed location and get to Patrick Brown, and we're going to go over to that uh, unnamed home studio and get to Ben McKee. How y'all doing this morning? Doing great. Hope Patrick is doing great and has recovered from covering such a strenuous basketball game last Saturday inside of Thompson Bowling Arena. Yeah, it looked like the varsity was playing the JV. Uh, it was really weird walking back into Thompson Bowling Arena. I hadn't covered a basketball game in seven years, I think. Uh, so uh, probably the biggest change was that bathroom right by the where the media entrance is the troughs are gone r.i.p i was happy to see that it's expanded and it's, it's really nice and it's a large bathroom now but uh much like tennessee fans with the troughs and kneeling with the trough gone in that bathroom it was a little bit but i wanted to pour pour one out for the the trough or pour one into the trough i guess you could also say <laughs> if you were to be more specific i didn't want to say it so thank you Wes, for saying it <laughs> How y'all doing out there, your listeners? I hope you're all right. I hope everything in your life is going great. I hope that you've had a nice week. I hope that uh, all the rain that we've had the past uh, couple of days has not uh, not gotten you a little bit down in the dumps. I know it's been uh, raining quite a bit. Uh, there was one of those aerial flood advisories, although to me it always looks like a real flood advisory. Like it's opposed to one of the fake flood advisories that uh, that are out there. But we are here. There will be Tennessee baseball all weekend long. Ben and I will be there for that. Obviously, there will be basketball on Saturday as well. Uh, that's a big one, Tennessee hosting Texas A&M. We're going to talk a little bit more basketball in the second segment uh, of this podcast. We are going to start with a little more football here in the first segment. Uh, we've had a couple days at this point to, to digest uh, the Tennessee's new additions there. And I think sometimes it's good to have that because guys, it, it's like those hires were like, boom, 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 boom. Here they are. Here they are. Here they are. And so you didn't maybe have enough time before we had to go out there and pod and get the stuff out there about who these guys were, what's going on. 
any different thoughts about these these hires the past couple of days? We've had a little more time to marinate on it a little bit. Anything that's popped up, anything new, anything noteworthy about the new running backs coach and uh, the new linebackers coach? I, I don't really have anything new that we talked about um, uh, earlier in the week, and, and that's sort of that uh, Darrell Sims is it, it sort of fits – Kind of, you know, it was the higher I kind of thought Tennessee might make it. My, you know, it's not a, a quote unquote big name, but then again, how many people can name ten running backs coaches in, in college football? I mean, that's just kind of how it is. Uh, it was a very Jerry Mack like hire that, you know, Mack came from Rice, didn't really have a connection to this particular offense or this staff, but um, and, and you wonder what his maybe recruiting ability would be coming from that program. But you know, Mack had been an offensive coordinator and, and had been a head coach, and so. Uh, Darrell Sims doesn't come with with that kind of background, but um, you know he, he's worked his way up the ladder from from Division Two to the FCS. Uh, worked at East Carolina, so he you know got the Group of Five box checked, and then uh, has worked at the Power Five with Scott Satterfield at Louisville and Cincinnati. And he's he's had productive backfields both of those stops. And um, so now you're going to see what what do you get from him uh, now that he's recruiting at a place like Tennessee because uh, it's going to be maybe hard for. Uh, some guys coaching at, at schools like that to get a bunch of blue chippers. Now he did have Ruben Owens committed at Louisville at one point mm-hmm. um, before that staff left and went to, and Owens went to Texas A&M. So he was a five-star, I think in the see freshman this year, I think um, anyways. So it, it's kind of one of those things where, you know, nobody knew really knew much about Jerry Mack when he was hired, but he came in and did a pretty good job developing guys that he inherited. I think he recruited the position pretty well uh, with William Inge. It's, it's, Basically, he's going to, I think, fit right along with that defensive staff just because similar age, similar experience. Now, he doesn't have uh, maybe the SEC chops as, as a Rodney Garner or William Martinez, but um, at, at 50, he's the youngest coach on the defensive staff, and all those guys maybe have a little bit of old school to them uh, and how they go about things. But um, from what I heard, he's, uh, in talking to some people, he's pretty good developer, good kind of mentor relationship builder in the recruiting process, good of talent evaluator. Um, and, and, you know, obviously Washington had pretty good success and, and he said some, some good uh, success at some of the stops he's had b- before coming to Tennessee and he was going to Alabama. So for Tennessee fans for, you know, take a coach from Alabama, I think uh, that, that that's something that they like to see. Uh, so, yeah, I, I don't, I don't think Ben was on our podcast. So I'm interested to hear his thoughts on, on these two guys and what he thinks about these coaches that, that Tennessee's hired. And now that they got the staff uh, complete for at least for the time being, because uh, with this carousel, how it is with guys yeah. leaving for the NFL and the, some of those staffs, I don't know if all of them are full yet, but uh, I guess you can never say never, right? No, you, you cannot. And uh, I have not shared my thoughts on this platform. I have shared my thoughts on the Swain event, which the good people can also listen to after they get done listening to go balls, 24 seven podcasts, Tuesday and Thursday from 8 to 9.30 a.m. Eastern in the morning. Uh, but my thoughts there have not changed either, Patrick, kind of like you a couple of days out from the hires. I, I thought when they were initially announced that after you talk to some people and, and after you hear some things and, and after you read some things, they seem to be really good hires. I, I think they're, at the end of the day, uh, two really good hires and, and will prove to be good hires. I think Josh Heupel deserves the benefit of the doubt. Uh, because for the most part, he has done a terrific job making hires. Uh, there, there hasn't been one 
off the top of my head that that's just been an absolute failure. Uh, th- there's some currently on staff that you have question marks, but that those are more question marks because their first time assistant coaches are going into their second year now and they were promoted from within. Uh, this time around, I I think purposefully, Josh Heupel went out outside of the family, outside of the house, and and I I think made two really really strong hires. Uh, in Darrell Sims and William Inge. To me, Patrick, the the question is, how will these guys be able to recruit at this level? And I think both will be fine. Uh, I don't think either will be bad recruiters, especially Darrell Sims. I, I think the recruiting question is more with William Inge than Darrell Sims. Uh, because if if you talk to people, and, and we had some content on up on the site that alluded to this, uh, William Inge is, is known more as maybe a developer than a recruiter, which I think in a way may be what Tennessee needs most in the short term, not the long term, because we know what where the yeah. health of your program stems from. That's recruiting. But in the short term, the linebacker position has a ton of talent inside its room, and it needs to be coached up. And Brian Jean-Marie would have done that, but now that he's off, uh, and, and now that there's a coaching change, it's, it's not necessarily at a great time because you do have so much young talent that needs to be developed quick, fast, and, and in a hurry for this defense to to do what you want it to do this season. And, and I think in the short term, that that's really going to bode well for this team, that that he is regarded as as a strong developer uh, of talent. But the question with him is, is, can he recruit? Kind of the same questions that Josh Heupel himself uh, w- was posed with when he got the job at Tennessee West and – I, I think it's as simple as he's going to have better resources at Tennessee. Everybody questioned Heupel and, and some others about their ability to recruit elsewhere. Well, elsewhere, Heupel never had the same resources that he has at Tennessee, and, and that's why you've seen him be a better recruiter than probably people anticipated. There's still room to grow. There's a next step that the, the staff as a whole needs to take in terms of recruiting to go win a championship, but he's done a really good job on the recruiting trail to this point, and, and – not that William Inge has been a bad recruiter, but that's that is the question mark when when you ask people about him uh, who have worked with him in the past. And uh, again, go look at his resume, Wes. He's never been somewhere, even Washington, which is a good football program, but it's not. It doesn't have the resources that Tennessee has. It, it just doesn't. And and I would think that you will see William Inge recruit as well as he as he has ever recruited because of the resources that he will now have at Tennessee. So on the field, I think it's two really, really, really strong hires to replace two big losses, Jerry Mack and Brian Jean-Marie. Wes and I talked about it at some point. I, th- I think those were two of your better assistant coaches, if if not your two best when you look at the, the total package. Uh, so I, I think what you're getting back on the field coaching is great. Certainly some question marks on, on the recruiting trail. I think Darrell Sims is, is going to recruit the lights out of the place. Uh, and then I think William Inge will be perfectly fine as well with Tennessee's resources. Yeah. I never assume that because someone could not recruit at a smaller place or could, didn't recruit at like an elite level at a smaller place that they couldn't recruit at a really high level at Tennessee. I agree to Ben's point there. I think that, that you, you, you don't have, not a lot of places have quite the resources that Tennessee does and the commitment to it and the ability to get in the, the front door at a lot of places. I mean, obviously, like, there are programs who, who like Tennessee can do that, 
but there's not like there's a ton of them, right? That are kind of always, if they're doing their job right, always in that like top 10, 15 recruiting, sometimes even higher than that. It's just a different kind of level if we're being honest. And and so that does not bother me at all, really. I mean, I let me rephrase that. There's always a concern, but it's not like a huge, it's not like something, I think if Heupel did not think that either of these guys could recruit at a place like Tennessee, I don't think he would have hired them. He, he knows, right? He's not, he's not an idiot. He knows what he's got to do to be, to be successful in this job. And, and, and recruiting in this day and age is it's different, right? I mean, it's, it's the NIL world where sometimes, um, sometimes NIL has to be your quote unquote closer. I mean, that's just the reality of, of the situation. And, um, that, that's some, that's one thing I heard about, uh, inch from, from talking to some, uh, somebody and, and sort of echoed what I think he's a, Good talent evaluator, a good recruiter, maybe not the best closer. But a lot of times, you know, you might need an NIL to be a closer. I think he had Washington uh, in pretty good shape at various points for a couple of four-star linebackers in this most recent cycle. And both of them went to Oregon. And we know we, we know Oregon is, is, you know, they've got a reputation and um, for, for using NIL very well. So that's how they've been able to, to put a pretty good roster up there uh, together with Dan Lanning. So um, that's just sort of the – the, the day and age of it. And, I, and I'm interested, you know, I think with some of the other guys that were looking at for the running back spot, you wondered if they were trying to replace Jerry Max ties in Memphis. Um, now Tennessee hasn't necessarily pulled a lot of guys out of Memphis in the last couple of cycles. Um, but they were looking at a couple of guys that have been high school head coaches down there. And so they go with a guy in Sims, who's maybe more familiar with uh, the Carolinas. He's from South Carolina. He coached at, at ECU. He coached at um, Western Carolina. And then obviously he coached at James Madison as well, which is in Virginia. So, those are other states, and, and Tennessee has to recruit regionally uh, in their state as well. And, and some of those places over there are just as far away as from, from Knoxville's Memphis. So that was mm-hmm. interesting to me. But um, yeah, Wes, I, I think, you know, uh, that's something that we need to point out is that recruiting in this day and age is different. You know, we saw this a lot um, with the last cycle where it seemed like Tennessee was in good shape with some guys and then they end up going elsewhere. Um, you know, it's, it's just. Uh, it's just sort of a different day and age in recruiting where things kind of, kind of change. And, um, and, you know, sometimes you building a relationship and sometimes you can do as a coach, everything that you can, right. You do everything that you can to get a guy. And sometimes you just don't get them. That's just kind of how recruiting is. Yeah. What do we think about the, the contracts? I know that basically, you know, Inge is making almost exactly what he made at Washington. Now, I imagine with the state income tax, he's probably pulling home a little bit more here than he was at Washington. I'm I'm, I'm going to guess um, in terms of the tax rate and everything, but he he's making about what seven hundred twenty thousand dollars a year for a couple of years um, each year. He's making that, I should say. Um, and then to, uh, Sims is is probably more of a what you would call a bargain hire these days. You know, around what three hundred fifty four hundred thousand dollars a year, which at, at a lot of places that'd be a lot of money. In in the SEC, that's 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 not so bad. Yeah, Wes, Inge uh, is going to make seven hundred twenty thousand at, at for, for both years mm-hmm. of his deal at Tennessee. Uh, Brian Jean Marie made six hundred sixty five. He was probably going to get a raise. Yeah, uh, had he stayed, um, I'll be interested to see what what Michigan what that number is when whenever that gets revealed. I don't know the uh, the process up there in terms of how quickly Michigan releases that stuff. But I would um, I would think yeah, that it, I would think Inge, the money they're saving on Harbaugh they could spend that a lot a lot a lot of money on assistance probably. Oh yeah. Um, 
you know, but uh, it was making 725 at Washington last year. So yeah. I, we'll never know, I guess, what he was going to make at Alabama since Alabama never hired him and uh, or never officially hired him to where the point where they would announce it and put out, you know, release his contract and all that stuff. Uh, with Sims, it is, uh, let me be sure I got my, it's 350000 this year mm-hmm. and 400000 next year. Um, Jerry Mack was making 500000 Um And again, we, we'll, we'll see what, uh, the returning assistants get in terms of raises, extensions. I think a lot of guys are kind of going into their last year. Uh, last I was told is that Tennessee does not have anything official yet, document wise, for any of those coaches. We'll see when they get done. Obviously, that includes William Martinez, who I guess is working off. You know, I, I don't know how that works generally, but you know, his deal I, expired at the end of January, but he's obviously still. Working for Tennessee, I, I think you just, keep, just hasn't. Yeah, I think you just keep making what you had been until they. You're just kind of an at will employee until you get a new contract. I think you were yeah, making what you were. Yeah, yeah. It's sort of it's it's kind of hard for in my mind to connect that. But anyways, um, that's how that's kind of how it always is. I mean, these guys were, you know, th- these two coaches were. They did sign their their stuff on Monday, um, and we're already making recruiting crawl calls for Tennessee before Tennessee officially announced them. But, um. Yeah, we'll, we'll see when those get announced. I think there's going to be some guys who get some raises, maybe another year tacked on. Um, I think Kelsey Pope was sort of – I think Georgia was interested in him a little bit. He was one of the lower-paid guys on staff. I think his, his number will go up. We'll see uh, maybe what some other guys get that were maybe going to their final year. But um, there is something interesting that, uh, you know, the, the, the incentive structure for all these coaches is the same. Um, there's different buyouts for these two new coaches, though. I, th- I think it's interesting that I think uh, Darrell Sims's contract or, or his MOU says that whether he leaves or whether Tennessee terminates him, he gets the full remainder of what's left on his deal, which is interesting because Tennessee's other assistants, they kind of have a their, – their buyouts for leaving are, I think it's 50% of what they're left. Uh, they would owe 50% of what's left if they went to another SEC team, but only 25 if they went somewhere else. NFL, another college team. So uh, I think interesting that that some of those deals have clauses where Tennessee's like, you have to pay more if you're going to go somewhere else in the conference. Um, but uh, but yeah, and I think I think Inge's deal is, I think it's fifty percent of no matter where he goes. So um, everybody always seems to want to know about the buyouts and, and all that stuff, and uh, that stuff is included in a couple of the stories that I wrote earlier this week on, on those two guys. Yeah, just yeah, in case, certainly. Ju- just in case somebody fumbles or misses a tackle ever, they can start to wonder what the buyout is. <laughs> yeah, and, and as Patrick pointed out, um, you, you can go check out the the full stories on, on GoVolts twenty four seven dot com. I I think those numbers aren't surprising to me. Wes uh, William Inge is is making about what Brian Jean Marie would have ended up making because Brian Jean-Marie was absolutely going to get a raise. Fat one. Uh, Fat one. Not only for just... Because they tried to keep him, yeah. Yeah, not only for that, but he deserved a raise regardless of whether somebody else was trying to poach him or not. He he was not making what he deserved, quite frankly, when you evaluated where he stands on the totem pole, at least in my opinion. Again, I, I thought he was one of the, the better assistants on staff, if not the best assistant on staff. I think you could make that case. Uh, but Brian Jean-Marie was going to get a healthy bump, and, and it's probably about what William Inge is making. And, and then, of course, if you essentially stole him from Alabama, there, there's got to be a difference maker there. And I'm curious kind of what you alluded to, Patrick, what that difference maker was. Uh, was it simply more money 
at Tennessee or, or was it something else? Um, but that that neither salary surprised me. I, I think William Inge is where he should be given his resume, given that you had to steal him from Tennessee or steal him from Alabama and, and given what Brian Jean-Marie was going to make. And those guys are probably in the same boat in terms of reputation, view, viewed equally in terms of ability as a linebackers coach. So I, I like that number for William Inge. And, you know, Darrell Sims maybe a little lower than I anticipated. But I, I also understand. I mean, he's still a little wet behind the ears. I, I guess you could say that this is his first uh, true big time gig, first big time opportunity that he has received. Not to discredit Cincinnati or Louisville, it's just Tennessee and the SEC is a different beast. It, it's as simple as that. And um, he, he, unlike Jerry Mack, is not a former head coach. So I, I think that he he is still building his resume. Whereas Jerry Mack's resume was already a little bit established. And um, if he can come in and have the success that a lot of people think that he can and will have, then he'll be making much more than, what'd you say, three, 350 year one, 400 year two? He'll, he'll be making more than that sooner rather than later. Most yeah, likely. And Mack was, I think, when he got here, I think his first year he made 400. So it's similar uh, in terms of the starting numbers. Yeah, and the running backs coach, Wes, made this point on one of the podcasts recently. The running backs coach, not to devalue the position or the job, but it's just not It's not what some of the uh, – it's not as important as some of the other positions on staff, quite frankly. So th- there's already that kind of built into the position. You're You're essentially hiring a recruiter at that spot, <laughs> more likely than not. Yeah, that's often yeah, where yeah, a good I want to add one more thing. I want one more thing on Inge and, and something you you mentioned, Ben, is about why did he, you know, what was he going to make at Alabama and then why did he leave? I guess that's something that I think Tennessee's hoping to introduce these guys and get these guys in, in front of the camera and in front of us here for too long. So we'll get to hear from him. And that would be one of my questions to Inge is okay, you were at Alabama, you were with a guy you had worked with the past four, four or five years in Kalen DeBoer. So why, why do you, you know, uh, he was attached. Those two were attached at the hip, as mm-hmm. one person described it to me. And so I'm wondering what made what made that move happen. And, and my theory is that uh, you know, someone I had heard that that Washington staff was pretty close, which is why a lot of them I think went down there initially. Uh, but when Ryan Grubb and the offensive line coach go back to the Seahawks, I wonder if that was like sort of a breaking up of the band and and determined that hey, if those guys are looking out for themselves, maybe I need to do the same as well. The Tennessee opportunity came along, and here, here everybody is. That's just my theory, but. Love to see uh, if he. I would think that would get asked when he does um, make his first appearance at the podium. But uh, that that was something as you as you brought that up, Ben. I wanted to throw that in there. Yeah, Wes, like, back yeah, to you. Like imagine if Ellerby had gone was with Hypel everywhere, and then he's going to go with him to Tennessee, and then all of a sudden he's like, "No, wait, I'm going to go to, um, you know." South Carolina, or I'm going to go to um, Florida, or that would have been weird. It would have, it would Kentucky. have, fe- yeah, it would have felt a little. He wouldn't do that probably, but it would have felt a little bit weird. You know what I mean? Like it would have felt a little bit weird. So that's definitely a question that needs to be asked before we get out of here for the first segment, guys, and and, and move to hoops in the second segment. Uh, a round of applause for uh, EA Sports College Football, the video game coming back. Everybody give at least a little nice little golf clap there. It will be back. It will be in the game. And I think Tennessee will be in the game. So uh, that's pretty awesome, right? I mean, we're going to start to hopefully get some details about this. Uh, Notre Dame opted in for everybody who was worried that Notre Dame might not be in the game because I know that would 
would just really irritate a lot of Tennessee fans if they couldn't schedule Notre Dame and beat the hell out of it. So Notre Dame will be in the game also. And uh, so thoughts thoughts on this? What are, what are we looking All forward to? All 134 Division One schools will be in the game. EA announced yesterday, and uh, I, I hope that our boss and bosses are, are not listening to this podcast because I'm going to tell you right now, <laughs> when this game comes out in, in the summer, buddy, my workload drastically is, is going to drop. I mean, it, it is going to be like pulling teeth to get me off of the PS5 playing NCAA and uh, doing actual work. And then it's going to be even worse during football season. Once the season starts, the 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 desire to want to play NCAA to working, it, it's going to be hard, man. So um, that, that's going to be a difficult time in, in my life. I, I would ask for prayers and, and thoughts uh, going into it. because There's going to be someone else in your household. There's going to be someone else in your house, too. I know. I'm going to have a... So, Two year old and a I'm imagining that like a four month old and, and a and a wife who I mean, Wes has one kid, Patrick has two. Patrick and Wes and I already know, but it, it's even more more so when you have a second, I assume that, that you are the least liked person in the house and, and and you are the least cared for person in the house. And like we even have a dog. So like I'm really on the bottom. I'm behind the dog, the baby, the baby in the womb. Mm-hmm. The wife doesn't like me, so when that gets thrown into the mix with with a newborn and a and a two year old who is just absolutely into everything, I, I again I need thoughts and prayers. I, I'm already accepting the thoughts and prayers now at, at the end of February because <laughs> I have ten years of NCAA football to make up for. And, and granted, I did for for many, really this past football season was the first season that I did not break out my PlayStation Three and still play NCAA 14 and just find the updated rosters. Uh, but I, I have a lot of time to make up for, and, and I can't wait to to grind out some SEC championships and uh, start my, my dynasty with Army and, and make sure that the Army Black Knights continue to whip up on Navy and win national championships. Do you change the philosophy uh, my, of my, Army? Do you change? Do you, do you do you do you keep running that that army offense, or do you do you mix it up? Do you they don't it? they don't run the triple option anymore. First of all, no, but like well, they, they're going they, back to it this year. I think they they run they run like a version. They've run like a version of things like that. This year they went away from it more so than they ever have. But I do think I saw some Jeff Munkin quotes that they were going to get back to running more of the traditional triple option. Uh, I change it. I, I make them a legitimate football squad. Uh, my offense. I, I'm not running the triple option. Too good of a football coach. Too good of an offensive mind. Uh, to, to simply run the triple option. And honestly, I'm too great of a recruiter to to where I'm going to be putting these elite athletes from all over the country in a triple option system. Army has has never had the type of recruiter on its campus that I am. And so <laughs> because I recruit elite players, I don't have to put them in a triple option. I'll put them in a spread. We're joining the SEC, and we're going to take it by storm and win many, many, many National championships. Who, who are you placing in the SEC? Is my question. Vanderbilt, you can't uh, Vandy. Missouri. Oh. <laughs> Even no, better. actually, I'm I'm keeping Missouri so I can stand on business and beat Eli every year. Uh, I think I actually might schedule Missouri as my permanent opponent as, as well. Uh, so I'm 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 gonna Missouri and South Carolina will be my two uh, permanent opponent opponents. So I I can stand on business uh, every season against uh, Shane Beamer and Eli Drinkwitz. Speaking speaking of wives, my dilemma that I thought about this week is that uh, I, my tenth anniversary is this summer, and we have a we have a big trip plan, and so I, I I'm thinking that I might 
work on that trip so I can take PTO for when the game comes out. Yeah. I'm, 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 that's my plan. Yeah. I'm thinking like to Ben's point, the, the, like after that game comes out, like I'm imagining like a company wide conference call, like at the midway mark of the next month, when we start to see some of the, 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 the numbers that, that, that get tabulated there at the end of, you know, a couple of weeks at the end of the month. And they'll be like, guys, guys, productivity is down 72% year over year. What is going on? Why is no one in this company working? And we'll have to be like, um, cause the video game came out. Is that a good answer? It's research. It's research, right? So, well, I'll so, tell you right what, now. I'll tell you right now. Go Balls twenty four seven is going to have NCAA content on the site. I'll tell you that right now. So I will be working while I'm playing this game. Are you going to live stream your games? You're on. You're online. Yeah. We're gonna have Twitch. I think I'm going to start a Tennessee dynasty and, and and live stream like two games twice a week. Yeah, Twitch accounts. What I, we'll have them. What I'm interested to see is. Uh, so apparently they're going to have like the playing styles and the playbooks similar to, to real life. I'm, I'm wondering, is it harder to get a playoff every eight to 10 seconds on a video game? Mm. Cause that's what Tennessee does in real life. I mean, how, are they going to have to like freeze the time on the clock and you pick a play? Like well, how, normally, how do they, what, what, how do they work they in do, that tempo? What they do on Madden is when, when you hold down triangle to go no huddle, it just automatically takes X amount of seconds off of the clock. I, I don't know what the seconds are that they take off the clock is probably like 10 to 12 seconds that they just, as soon as you hold down triangle on the PlayStation for no huddle, they automatically, it's probably like 10, 12 seconds that they take off. So it, it'll probably be easier to, to do it in real life than on video games. Yeah. The, well, uh, that, that's what, I think that's what people are going to find out is as they're trying to call plays as fast as possible. They're going to be like, how the hell does Josh Heupel do this? Where he's like, you know, bef- before the play's even over, he's already got, you know, on the headset, getting the plays or, are they gonna have the three guys in the different colored shirts on the sideline for Tennessee? Like, I have so many. I questions. need, I need my wide splits. I need my wide splits. Are they gonna let me have my wide splits in the game? I mean, it, it, it's they it's, better. It's it's important for the offense. You know, you got to have the space, space and pace, man. Space you, and pace. You, switch routes all day. Yeah, we had. We, will, will defenses uh, fall for it like they did in, in 2022? I, That's the question. I, I'll tell you right now, the quarterbacks that I recruit will be hitting the receivers in stride, right in the hands, to, to make it easy for them to catch the football. Why is Joe Milton out here catching straights from you, Ben? I Come didn't say now. Joe Milton. You brought Joe Milton up. I could have been talking about Jared Garantano or JT Shrout or Quentin Dormandy. You brought up Joe Milton, not me, Patrick. I remember we used to have a uh, we used to have a group. There were probably about ten of us. And we had like like a, one of those group dynasty things where everybody picked a school at the beginning, but it couldn't be like an A rated school. It had to be like a B rated school or lower. I think I had Michigan State. And so when we did all that, I had uh, that was uh, Kirk Cousins era, and I he won two Heisman trophies for me and like two national titles. <laughs> and are you sure it was it was a Kirk Cousin or was it quarterback number or whatever? It, it was it was QB eight QB eight I think it it was. <laughs> but he I have followed his NFL career very closely because he became very important to me during that time when he was a leader of men. He had the leadership traits. Uh, player, players wanted to play with him. Uh, all the cheerleaders wanted to be with him. It was a really special time in Michigan State football history, and um, it, we went on a roll. And then we we struggled to replace his magic. Like, we were still okay after he left, but it wasn't the same. And so Kirk Cousins, uh, whenever – like that's why when, when Dobbs went in there and had a couple of good games for him this year, I was like, do you know who you're replacing? You're replacing a legend. 
a video game legend is who you're replacing well, Josh Dobbs. Well, that, that's my question is if we were uh, if we were going to have a GoVal staff online dynasty, who would our teams be? And we, so with Ben's the rules, but you can't pick an A school. Yeah. So Ben's obviously taking Army. Uh, my my throwback one would be Oregon because in the previous iterations of the game that I played, you know, Oregon was like coming out with all the uniforms. They were running the, the spread, Dennis Dixon, like, uh, you know, that, that was like one of my heydays. Uh, but they would probably be – there are two reasons I wouldn't pick Oregon. Probably because they wouldn't meet – we'd have to pick a school that's not good, right? Yeah. Uh, and two, I, I don't want anything to do with the Big Ten. I hate the Big Ten. They suck at football. Uh, I'll tell you right now who West is picking. Who would that Arkansas be? State, baby. Oh yeah, that's that's me. That's <laughs> me. Five brick, baby. And the He's first coaches those won't those be in the game. Well, well, coaches won't be in the game, West. But, 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 but think about it. If I did that, I would be replacing the previous head coach. Well, so if coaches were in the game, then West would take over Arkansas State just so he could fire. But yeah, if they had if they had like an athletic director, EA Sports uh, athletic director, two thousand twenty-five or whatever, it would be like your first move: clean the house, just gone, everybody gone. And I hope, hope it does the cutaway scenes where they come into your office, like in the FIFA video game, <laughs> when you like do contract extensions and players like walk into your office and you do like, here's what you, here's what you want to say to them. And it would be like GTFO. That's what I would say. I'm surprised that that's the reason you follow Kirk Cousins. Um, Kirk Cousins uh, is a, he's a legend. No, I know. But I, I just assume that you would want to follow Kirk Cousins because he takes his shirt off all the time. Well, that too. I mean, you know, that's that's my thing. You know, I like to do that as well. Um, but I would pick probably I would either throw back to Michigan State because of uh, of all time sake, or maybe West Virginia. That would be a fun one for me to play with. I like their uniforms. West Virginia is not on par with Army and whoever Patrick's going to pick, buddy. So I have to go low, 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 low. You, yeah, you got. I, like I, I think I. I huh? Oh oh like oh! No wait wait wait! I know what I would do. I would irritate Pat by picking Memphis. That's what I would do. I wouldn't pick Memphis. That's I no, but I'm saying I would so I could claim I'm more Memphis than you. That's what I would do. <laughs> that's that's it. Uh and I, I want to work with Penny. I, I want to work with Penny. I'd pick a Sunbelt school, so like an app state. Um, but honestly, I'd probably I'd probably go beep beep. UTSA. Let's go. That's a good one. Road runners. We're excited for that. We should really think about I'd like, bring back Frank Harris for an eighth year of eligibility. We should we should do like a like a Twitch account, or we could do like a previewing every week through the video game. What does the video game simulate will happen in this game? Uh, that that could be. There's a lot of really dumb dumb things we could do that would be a lot of fun. Dumb dumb things that a lot of people care about. No, no, I mean like dumb dumb in terms of like the value that it would bring to like journalism, but it would be fun for us. <laughs> we well, could, none of us are big J journalists. We're all lowercase J. No. Yeah, I, I again. I, I still hope that our bosses are not listening to this. Cannot believe that they hired an internet blogger to, to join the crew here at GoVoss 24-7 because I, I, I'm at an absolute bum off of the streets and not at all qualified to do what I'm asked to do. Well, we all do. All. We all do an okay job until this video game comes out, and then we're then we're toast for a while. So hopefully, Thanks. hopefully that Bart works toast. out. <laughs> Any, anything else, guys? Before we move on to uh, basketball in the second segment, anything? No, I, I just want to hurry up and move on to basketball so we can kick Patrick out of here. Patrick, your your rebuttal, your thoughts. See you guys later. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that will work. Bye. That will work. Thanks for being here, Pat. We're going to step away uh, for just a second. We're going to go pay some bills, listen to products, services, in-house ads, etc., and then we'll be right back here on the Go Vols 24-7 podcast. Hashtag ad. Money! 
Every sport has their big, juicy controversy. Boxing has the Mike Tyson ear bite. Cycling has Lance Armstrong. Baseball has its steroid era. Curling has... Broomgate. It's a story of broken relationships, houses divided, corporate rivalry, and a performance-enhancing broom. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate. Available now. Welcome back to the Go Boss 24-7 podcast brought to you by whatever product, services, and in-house ads you just heard a moment ago during that commercial break. Wes Rucker coming to you from Fort Rucker Studio and Ben McKee coming to you uh, from his uh, his his still unnamed uh, home studio, which will forever uh, be be a ho- uh, an unnamed home studio because there will uh, soon, at some point, be a new home studio for him that we will have to bug him into naming as well. We are here talking Tennessee. We were talking football, football. Now we're going to talk some basketball, basketball, basketball here on a Friday morning, a chilly morning, not like unseasonably chilly for this time of year, but uh, nonetheless, just a little bit chilly. Hope you're wearing sleeves if you're outside today. Uh, the rain, I think, is gone now. That is nice. Uh, I think the rain's get, getting out of the way before Tennessee baseball gets going this weekend. The Vols hosting uh, Albany. Uh, they like to be called you Albany. I will never say that probably. They're the Albany Great Danes. They'll be playing them at 430 on Friday and 2 o'clock on Saturday, 1 o'clock on Sunday. Uh, ben and I will be there for those. Uh, if you're look- looking for baseball content on this episode, you won't find any, but you will find uh, the the most recent episode in the feed was dedicated exclusively to baseball with me and uh, with Ben hosting, actually, uh, joined by me and by Will Heflin, talking a lot of Tennessee baseball. We had two podcasts for baseball Diamond Vault editions this week. So go back and listen to those. So please go do that. Also, while I'm asking you to do stuff, please go in there and take a minute out of your day right now and go rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast. If you're just listening on the website at GoVols247.com, nothing wrong with that. No wrong way to consume this podcast. does help us out more, though, if you go in there on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeart, TuneIn, Stitcher, Amazon, Anywhere in the world that you can cast the fine pod, you can find this GoVols 24-7 podcast. We do this for free. We're happy to do it. It's a labor of love. But since we're doing it for free, I don't think it's too much to ask to rate, review, subscribe, tell your friends, tell people that you want to be your friends, tell people that um, you know maybe want to be your friends. You just have the courage. You see somebody walking, you're like, that's a cool person. You know what? I need, I need an icebreaker. I need an icebreaker. Be like, hey, I see you wearing orange. You, uh, you, you listen to the Go Balls 24-7 podcast? Do that. People in the wild are actually doing that. So continue that trend. Please do that. It helps us grow this thing the way we've grown it for years now. So please keep doing that. Guerrilla communication. It does work. If you're already doing all that stuff, thank you. We love you. If not... I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul. Straight back into basketball, Ben. Tennessee... Hosts Texas A&M tomorrow night, Saturday, as we're recording this. We're recording on Friday, so it'll be tomorrow night, Saturday, the 24th. A big, big game for Rick Barnes and his Vols. Obviously, these two programs have very, very recently met, and due to a scheduling quirk, they're meeting again you know, relatively quickly thereafter. Uh, things have gone completely different ways for these programs since that game. That game, pretty much everything that could go wrong for Tennessee went wrong. 
A&M, to its credit, played a very, very good basketball game, made shots, played good defense, had the crowd into it, you know, had six people on the floor defending because Buzz Williams got in there to help a little bit on defense for their late in the game. A lot of stuff, a lot of stuff. Actually, I think A&M had the ball then. Uh, so six people on offense. But uh, a lot of stuff went wrong for Tennessee and went right for A&M that night. And since then, it's gone the other way. It has. Uh, I, I do think first we need to go back and revisit Tuesday's ugly win over Missouri That's for fair. Tennessee. Uh, it, it was just an ugly performance. Kudos to Tennessee for getting things turned around. Uh, Dalton Connect did Dalton Connect things there in that second half. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jonas Adu got going late in the second half as well uh, and had four blocks. Not good to see him have zero defensive rebounds, but did have four offense rebounds and, and four blocks and, and made some tough shots down the stretch. Uh, again, Dalton got it going, but Tobey Awaka was the only player that showed up for a complete 40 minutes. And uh, he, he, to me, you know, I, I, I'm not going to make a huge deal out of it. Uh, because you wrote a column on this, and I have the opinion that Missouri is just simply a, a tough place to play. Uh, that That's not an excuse at all. A veteran basketball team that has the goals that this team does should still not fall into that trap, and they they should be able to find their own juice and, and energy and, and, and not show up the way that they did, but... Uh, I I do think the atmosphere and the location had had a large say in that in, in terms of Tennessee not playing with the fight that you would like to see them play with, uh, and and that was disappointing to see. Make no bones about it. Just, I mean, Tobey Walker to me was the only one that played with the effort in that first half, and and it was it it was pitiful, quite frankly. And the the energy wasn't what it needed to be. The effort wasn't what it needed to be. The intensity, whatever word you want to use. They were not locked in and ready to go. And all you need to know in terms of what Rick Barnes thought is he said that Missouri was winning the 50-50 balls Mm -hmm. in the first half, a.k.a. my team wasn't playing with effort or intensity or energy, whatever that word is that you want to use. Tennessee was not doing it outside of Tobey Awaka in that first half. And and if not for him, I forget off the top of my my head how many points he had in the first half. I think it was like eight eight or so, maybe Mm ten. If not for those points from Tobey, it would have been a pretty significant deficit there there going into the locker room at halftime. So I, I'm not going to raise any red flags uh, about it, um, but it, it was not fun to watch or, or a good thing by any stretch of the imagination. But they, they did turn it on. Daunt got going. Tobey continued to play well in the second half, and, and Jonas got going as well to, to chip in and help Tobey out. And as Rick said after the game, the difference was how – the post played. They they went to that two big lineup. They they don't typically do that, but they they did go to it. Uh, and and Tobey and Jonas really fed off of each other well there in in the second half to to pull that win out. Yeah, I have a, a theory on it, and it's it's just a theory. It's not obviously an opinion because we can't get inside the heads of other people. It's hard to know what they're thinking. It's hard to know what they're feeling. You know, we can try to empathize, but you can't really understand what someone else is going through ever or whether it's good bad whatever it is my thought is that Tennessee knew from the scouting report that Mizzou was a team that was vulnerable on the inside and so you have a lot of guys on that team who were not that excited because nobody ever really gets excited to go to Como they just don't it's cold it's 
the the atmospheres aren't the absolute best. It's far away. It's it's a weird trip. It just it's different. And Tennessee in pretty much every sport, even baseball last season, just does not play well there. It just it, it recently just has not played well there. But Tobe Awaka has really wanted to, to have a kind of a breakout sort of performance. And he knew they weren't very good in the post. And he was locked in and ready to go. He was ready to go get his. And he did. And that if it's not like he's going to be a double digit scoring guy all the time because he's just not. I do think before he leaves Tennessee, he will be that. But he's not right now. He's usually kind of the second fiddle in the post to, to Adu. And that's kind of how it is. But he was locked in and ready to go. He knew that Mizzou was vulnerable and did not have much depth and did not have a lot of skill, you know, a lot of, a lot of size in the paint. And he knew he was going to have an opportunity to crash the boards and go get stuff. And he did. And good for him because until, you know, the second half occurred and then Tennessee fell behind by seven and then, you know, connect said, screw this. I'm just going to go score 15 or so points here real quick. And then the team kind of then, then Ziegler hit some threes, then Ganey hit a shot. Then they started, playing like themselves again, right? And, and guys were making plays. But until then, it was Tobey kind of carrying them a little bit at times, giving them some juice. And I think, Ben, it's because he knew he had an opportunity and he's been dying for an opportunity to go in there and do some stuff. Yeah, that that was the best thing to come out of that basketball game. Uh, Tobey's development and, and maybe – realizing that you can lean on him here down the stretch. Now, it was against a very poor Missouri team. They play hard, but it's not a good basketball team. Record speaks for itself, So, uh, and they didn't really have a post presence. So he, he should assert his dominance in, in the way that he did in that particular matchup. Uh, but I, I think the real test will be coming up and seeing how he performs on Saturday. And I tell you, I, I'll my biggest concern with this team, I have two concerns with this team going into March. Free throw shooting, specifically with Dalton Connect, and then post-play. Those are my two concerns with this basketball team going into March. And if Tobe can contribute in the manner that he has here of late in a couple of different games, then that obviously lessens that concern and it makes you feel better about the post play because as we've said all season, it can't only be Jonas going into March. No, somebody can't. has to chip in. Even if it's just a couple of minutes here and there, somebody has to find a way to be productive and not necessarily be productive in terms of scoring points, but just being a physical presence, defending, grabbing rebounds, trying to protect the rim as, as best you can. Uh, just just giving Jonas a relief. And of late, Tobe has done more than just simply give him a relief. Now, Tennessee has not really played anybody of late. So uh, these next five games, man, would it be a great sign if, if Tobe translates what he's been doing to these upcoming opponents, A&M on Saturday, in which you know that they are going to need Tobe because the, the thing that A&M does great is rebound the basketball, mm -hmm. especially on the offensive glass. They need Tobey to have an impact on Saturday. And uh, if, if he turns around and does it against a guy like Janai Broom and some of the big men that Auburn has on Wednesday and then takes advantage of an Alabama team that doesn't really have a rim protector next Saturday in Tuscaloosa, then I, I think that it, it's proof in the pudding that Tobey has turned the corner, and that is a great sign going into March because, again, somebody has to help Jonas go going into March. It, it just has to happen in, in order – 
uh, to make sure that Tennessee's downfall in March and, and they don't come up short in March is because of lack of post-production. And I'll tell you something else about that too, Ben. And as as good as Jonas Adu is, and he's great at at not just like blocking shots. It's not just something like, you know, you're tall and you have long arms, so you can block shots. There is an art to blocking shots. There is a knowledge of when an opponent is going to shoot, getting a sense for when is the right time to to kind of leave the floor and when it's not. You have to be very, very, very smart defensively and have good instincts and the athleticism and the size. You have to have all those things together to consistently block shots. And Adu is very, very good at that. I would say like maybe one half of a tick below the elite of the elite, but he is darn near at that level in terms of how he can affect games at the rim. And I think the problem with that is that occasionally, no matter how good you are, you're going to get in foul trouble. You're going to get in foul trouble. It's going to happen at some point, whether it's down these last four or five games of the season or once in the SEC tournament or once in the NCAA tournament. He's probably at some point going to get in some foul trouble because all it takes is a couple bad breaks. You know, you, you miss time a leap, you know, somebody, you know, knows how to bail, you know, how to use their body to get into you and then draw the foul. It's going to happen because it happens. And that's why you need Tobey Awaka to feel confident about his ability because they, they're going to need him. And I say that like Awaka's not going to go in and get 2,030 seconds anyway, but they need guys that can step in for those moments because while you can occasionally get away with one of those lineups that has like James or somebody at the five for certain matchups and certain teams, you can't do that very often. Really, you can't. Even if you're chasing the game, you really can't do that. So um, you have to have some sort of solid actual rim protection on the floor. So And and real quick before we get into the A&M game, more in depth, more, more into that rematch, uh, the other thing that I alluded to but didn't really talk about it at length is on top of Tobey individually appearing to have taken a step forward here the last couple of weeks, you mentioning – the whole you never know what's going to happen with foul trouble and and this and that. I mean, again, it, it speaks to the NCAA tournament and not knowing what's around the corner. You, you don't know what matchups you're going to deal with. You don't know the strengths of the teams that you're going to be facing. And that's why the best teams in the tournament are the teams that can win in multiple ways. And there, there's not a lot of proof in the pudding. It's, it's somewhat of a small sample size, but and. I don't I don't want to make a mountain out of a molehill on something that, you know, again, it's a bad Missouri basketball team. I, I would feel much better about this point if they had done it against a, a legitimate team, uh, an NCAA tournament-worthy team, and maybe they will in the coming games. But if, if they can rely on that two-big lineup consistently, and I, I don't think it's something that they're going to play often, but if it's something that they can go to and have trust in it, and find production in it. I mean, that just adds to how dangerous this Tennessee basketball team is going into March because it's another way in which they can win. There, there's already several ways in which this Tennessee can this Tennessee team can win, but one of the ways that we have not talked about because they have not shown they can do it is that too big lineup. They they haven't won that way this year, and they did it against a bad Missouri team. If if that is something that they could rely on against a more legitimate opponent. 
it just makes this Tennessee basketball team even more dangerous. Yeah, I'd have to go back and look. There have been a couple times this year where Barnes has used that lineup a little more than others. If I'm remembering correctly, and I might not be, so I shouldn't be saying this, but I think he's done that a couple times in games where he's been trying to change things that aren't going well. I don't think it's ever been like option A going into a game, but I think there have been games this season where he hasn't liked what's happened and he hasn't liked what he's seen. He's tried to change it up with the regular lineup and it hasn't worked. So he's either gone super guard heavy or two bigs because he'll do that. Like Rick's, Rick, Rick's, I mean, he's an absolutely fantastic basketball coach and he has the attention span of a fruit fly. Like if something's going wrong, he's changing it. Like that's just how he is. He's tinkering. He's changing it. Vitell's got a little bit of that in him too. He's just changing something when he doesn't like it. Um, and that's, that's not wrong. They would, they they would rather be proactive yes. than reactive. If, yes. if they would rather make a change too early than try and stick with something that's not working and hope it starts working, aka they they would rather go ahead and make a change than continue to try and fit a a square peg into a round hole. Yeah, they would rather go down knowing they've done everything they could think of to avoid it. Basically, they don't want any regrets about leaving somebody in too long or going. Rick with has the wrong said thing. that after a game this year that he 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 doesn't want to sit around and hope that it changes. Yeah, and so I, my my point was there. I think he's gone to those kind of lineups a couple times, trying to change games, and a couple times it has, and a couple times it hasn't. But it's really, really, really nice, as Ben said, to have those those options because the very best teams. I mean, the very best teams can kick your ass their way no matter who you are. Those are the very best teams, right? Like some of those teams that are just steamrolling people. Like, you know, like the way like old UNLV used to play. Like we play one way, you can't stop us, here we go, right? Like Florida, the the back-to-back natty teams, we play a certain way, except for in Thompson Bowling Arena, we play a certain way, we're going to win almost every game we play. I mean, th- there are teams that do that, Um but, you know, I don't know that that team exists in college basketball this season. I mean, even it, it was a random one-off, but even UConn got the hell kicked out of it the other night. Um, at, at Creighton, which, again, if you don't – that is a big arena, and it's very loud, and they are elite basketball fans at Creighton. I'm telling you, they are. That's a great building. They absolutely – you. I would love Tennessee to play home-and-home home with Creighton at some point because I just I've, – I've been to that arena, but not to see – Creighton play, but I can just imagine for a Creighton game, that thing, that big, that full, that loud, it's a really, really, really nice arena. And I think uh, things can happen there. And if you're, uh, you know, Hurley, you can uh, tell <laughs> you can tell fans on your way out the door that you're going to uh, knock them out of the tournament when you play them anyway. So maybe they are. But my point was, even Purdue, right, playing the way it likes to play, a couple times this year it's kind of worn one. The, and those there's like two those two or three teams really Houston they play the way they play usually very good but sometimes they've had to wear one so I don't think that sort of historically elite team exists right now so if you want to win this tournament the big one coming up you better be on an absolute heater a mind melter for six games or you're gonna to have to win playing different ways that, that that's really much what it's gonna to have to be you're either gonna be so hot from three and for six games that it doesn't matter, or you're going to have to win 
a game playing slow and a game playing fast and a game playing uh, when a team's zoning you, when a team is full court pressing you, when your big men are in foul trouble, when your guards are in foul trouble, you're going to have to win completely different kinds of games with different lineups, different combinations. And to Ben's point, I think that is maybe the other than Dalton connect, the single greatest strength of this basketball team is would either be one Zakai Ziegler or two, just the versatility, the diversity, the way to play the game. Absolutely. And and looking at this game on Saturday, I, I think we'll learn more about this Tennessee team as, as it approaches March. I mean, uh, four weeks from this Sunday is Selection Sunday. Mm-hmm. So we, we are a month out from learning Tennessee's NCAA tournament fate. Of course, they'll be in the dance, but learning what seed they will be. And uh, by that point, we will know whether or not Tennessee successfully won an SEC championship, whether that be the regular season championship or the SEC tournament. They're certainly in the thick of it right now. I, I would say that Tennessee and, and Alabama, because of some recent results, are the front runners going into this weekend. And uh, there, there's no I, there's no doubt about it that we're about to learn a lot about this basketball team. I think coming up over these next five games, I, I don't expect them to go perfect because it is a, a very, very tough stretch with a, with a couple of tough road games in the mix. I, I would quite frankly be surprised if they go five and zero. they're capable of going five and zero, but I don't know that that's my expectation. Um, but if this Tennessee team is the team that we think that it is, or at least that I think that it is because I I'm the one who sat up on here on Monday and talked about how I felt like they were turning the corner and then they go to Missouri on Tuesday and they don't show up and play with effort in the first half. So uh, th- this, this team, and that's more of a college basketball issue than, than people want to recognize. It's, it's not a Tennessee issue. It's not a Rick Barnes issue. That's, that's just how college basketball works. Teams are not consistent. Uh, that, that that's the nature of college basketball and why so many people love college basketball because of how crazy and unpredictable it is. But if if I'll speak for myself, if this team is what I think it is, and if it has the potential that I think it is, that's that's on one hand. On the other hand, if it wants to go win an SEC regular season championship and potentially get a number one seed West, they've got to go four and one over this next stretch. And uh, you, you can't lose to AM, and then you have to go three and one in that four game gauntlet that we had been circling. For most of the season, it was always a four-game gauntlet. I think it's turned into a bit of a five-game gauntlet because of the physical nature of AM, with it being a rematch and how that first game in College Station went. So you certainly cannot lose the AM, in my opinion. And then once you truly get into that four-game gauntlet that we've been talking about for a while, I think at best, if, if you want to accomplish what you want to accomplish in SEC play and, and if you want to prove that you are the team that you think you are and have the potential that you think that you do, I think you can only lose at minimum, at worst, one of these next five games? Probably. I still think there's part of me, and I don't I, I don't know exactly why I think this, because I think you could just as easily prove it the other way around. I still think if the end goal is to make it as far as you can in the NCAA tournament, which I think is the priority, really, I think this team, I think one more little slice of humble pie wouldn't be the worst thing. I don't always love it when this bunch gets a little bit too comfortable or confident. I don't know that that brings out – I don't know that they have that kind of cutting edge. 
that they need when that happens. So I think one loss, whether it's down the stretch in the regular season or in the SEC tournament, and a game where it's just really frustrating. It'll be really frustrating in the moment, and it would get a lot of people saying a lot of things because every time this team does anything but play perfect basketball, the sky is falling. I still think one little more slice of humble pie going into March would be good for this team. I think it needs to be on edge. Here's what I would ask you, though. For a veteran basketball team, had they not already eaten enough humble pie this season? I, you I, would think. I agree you with would think. what I think. I think it's a, a really good thought for sure. But I, I, would, I would like to think that a veteran basketball team would not need another slice of humble pie because they've already had several pieces of it this season. And I think the first half at Missouri was a piece of humble pie and exactly what you described as one of those ugly games where things just aren't – it was self-inflicted because you weren't playing with effort, but one of those games where things just weren't really going your way and until the very end. I would like to think that that was the last piece of humble pie that it needed because of just how old they are and, for the most part, how much basketball they've played together. They, they should understand by now what it takes – to get over the hump in March. Yeah, I would have said that, but my problem is they came back and won at Mizzou, so I don't know that they actually learned it. Um, sometimes you have to really, really eat it. You know, sometimes you have to really sit there and stew over it. And when you can play, sometimes it can be even worse when you don't play as well as you can play and you play awful in the first half of a game and you come back and win because that's sort of in some way the human na- human nature – can help you justify that as something that, oh, well, you know, I mean, it, you know, it was, it was good enough, you know, and, and that you have to fight that as coaches, as players. And that the only reason I'm not totally convinced is because it is Columbia, Missouri and Tennessee, just bad things always happen to Tennessee over there in every sport. So that's why I, part of me is thinking, oh, no, not the end of the world, but it was very, very disappointing that that team did not go there and just take care of business from the jump. I'll even give you half the first half, okay? If the first 10 minutes of the first half, you're not very good and you're behind and they're making shots, okay. But then you still have like the final 10 minutes of the first half and, and they didn't they didn't start fixing it yet. That, that, that um, I don't want to say alarmed me, did concern me. And so I, I just, we, everything with this team, it feels like, you know, kind of riding a wave of emotion inside the program. It might be totally different for the guys in the program. I'm talking about for people outside the program, watching them. It feels that way. And so maybe just maybe like, I would say like if they were going down to Auburn instead of hosting Auburn, that would be a game where I'm like, okay, go get you some of that. See how it usually goes down for you in the jungle. And then that will get your head where it needs to be going into the postseason. But the Auburn's coming here. So I, I don't know. Uh, maybe going to South Carolina, even though Carolina's been struggling a little bit lately. Um, you know, Kentucky, God knows what it, they're going to do. It's kind of, yeah. I, <laughs> yeah. I mean, we. I think I mentioned that on the podcast on Monday. It, it That four-game gauntlet kind of flipped on you there for a moment because Auburn took some weird losses last week. Carolina's been taking some weird losses of late. Ugly losses, quite frankly. Mm-hmm. Although LSU, now they've beaten Carolina and Kentucky. Maybe they're better than we thought they were. Yeah. Um, but the the two that you thought were going to be the toughest was Auburn and Carolina, at least early in SEC play, because you felt good about how you beat Alabama. You felt good about how you beat Kentucky and all of Kentucky's other results. But then Kentucky beats Auburn, 
Carolina loses games. Alabama just continues to win, even though they they just don't pass the eye test to me. They don't. We'll see. They just don't, and they have it all year. It they is so winning. weird. Maybe, maybe I need to readjust my expectations for them and, and give them the flowers that, that they deserve as a basketball team. But it just feels weird, man. That that Bama team, like the results don't match what I watch. They, they don't. There have been a couple of games where they have absolutely blown out opponents. But I guess there's also been several games where they've had to to really rally in the second half and, and come back. Maybe that's why I feel the way that I do. Um, but it, it's funny how – this this four game gauntlet after A and M is it's kind of flipped a little bit. Carolina doesn't look as intimidating of a trip, if that's the right word. Uh, Auburn taking a little lumps here of late. The Jalen Williams had an injury scare. Bama and then Bama can't stop winning. Kentucky goes and beats Auburn and then turns around to lose to LSU. It's it's just again it, it really speaks to uh, the what I said a moment ago about the the lack of consistency in college basketball that that's what it all boils down to and, and that's why we love the craziness of college basketball and certainly you know I want to give the last thing I want to give Alabama a a little bit of credit here and say that Florida's been playing really good basketball lately for the most part uh, Golden's kind of got things turned around down there I'm not saying they're like elite right now but they're they've gotten good they they were they got ranked for a reason like they, they've been playing really good basketball lately people gave up on them a little bit too too soon um even though the coach looks 12 years old it is what it is he can coach right obviously he can get his team better but when Florida went down to Alabama I, I saw checking the you know looking for scores we were sitting there in the baseball stadium looking through like you know who oh, I wonder where the, where the games are tonight yada yada and it shows you on the ESPN site, how much the lowest price tickets are. And like two hours before tip of that Florida Bama game, you could get tickets for $2 for that game in Coleman, $2 for two ranked teams uh, in, in Coleman. There will be no $2 tickets when Tennessee is down there. That will be different. It will be a different vibe. It will be a different level of kind of piss and vinegar. It will be third Saturday in October basketball. It will be, loud it will be hostile there'll be some tennessee fans down there too uh you know game day probably i'm guessing will be there if the sec title looks like it could be on the line that that is expect well, i college to, game to, days reese davis practically said on birmingham radio this week that game day was was going down there this weekend yeah and or next weekend yeah and so that that's going to be a big atmosphere uh, as far as things get big in coleman where tennessee 30 tip yeah where, where tennessee just never plays great uh it seems like sometimes they play okay but you know bama that's my concern for bama is when they go away from home they don't shoot quite as well and they never defend the rim and that's why i just keep thinking like and man i don't i think if i'm a lower seated team i would not be terrified of that matchup like if i if i got to play like a top two or three seed or somebody like that if i'm a really low rated team like like one of the 15 seeds or whatever 14 seeds I don't think I'd hate that matchup. I don't. No, I I, I don't. And uh, my my final thought here, Wes, because I need to get out of here and get to go talk to the the old Deacon here in forty five minutes. Uh, my my last thought is is that with this A and M game to to put a bow on A and M because we we really haven't talked about it as as much as we probably should have, and that's my fault because you asked about it and I said no, we're talking Missouri, so I'll take the blame on that. Uh, but uh, I, I do think I would be very surprised if Tennessee loses to a struggling. A&M team that can't shoot the ball inside of its own building, but I still want to learn about this team this weekend and think we will learn about this team if it handles the physicality of A&M and the rebounding of A&M. Because I, I do think 
Wade Taylor was on a heater to start that game in College Station. The team was on a heater. Uh, and uh, naturally, in Tennessee fashion, they have not shot the ball well since that game and, mm-hmm. and have had three ugly losses since that game. Um, but the, the biggest issue to me was just, again, how AM dominated them on the boards. And, and look, I, I felt like they got punked a little bit. I, yeah. I felt like they absolutely did. They bit. absolutely got punked. Yes. A uh, little rattled by the environment and, and then the whole rebounding and, and post play. Uh, so I, I think even though it's in Tennessee's building and they should still win, I think it would still be a great sign if this Tennessee team handles A&M's physicality and bounces back and and, and rebounds the basketball well. Uh, I, I think that would be a great sign, kind of tying that into the Tobey conversation and Tobey Jonas big man lineup conversation. I, I think it would be a, a great sign that that area of the team truly is taking a step forward if – those factors show up on Saturday against a and Yeah, I would be much more concerned about this matchup if if very recently A&M hadn't punked Tennessee. If that if that hadn't happened, I'd feel differently about this. Um, now I will say a and still fighting for its postseason life, so you know you gotta it's you gotta respect that. You gotta respect the the fight they're probably gonna come with. Uh, and it's never the fight with that team. It's just are they gonna make shots? They're gonna fight. You know that Buzz's teams always fight. It's just. I'll need to make shots, um, and, and that's the question. But if, if this hadn't gone the way that it went just a couple weeks ago with this these two, I would feel differently because of the style. You know, styles make fights, and the way A&M plays can kind of give Tennessee some problems if you're not ready for it and locked in for it. I think they'll be ready and locked in. I think they will be an angry bunch. Uh, I think they'll be motivated, and I think they'll be in their own barn, and I think they'll probably be okay. But – we shall see. We we do not know. That's why they go ahead and play the games. But Ben, I know you've got to get uh, over uh, to basketball practice. I have got to uh, go in just a little bit to pick up my kid. Here's what I got to do, Ben. I got to pick up my kid today from daycare, bring him to campus, hand him off to my wife, and then walk over to the baseball stadium. That's how our schedules have have gotten together this afternoon. That's the life of parenting, right? You got to do what you got to do. So I'm going to go slice this thing up. I think you're going to go talk to some. Uh, Talk to Rick and, and talk, talk to a player. And uh, so, Cade we, Phillips. Cade Phillips. Oh, nice. We'll, we'll talk to old Cade. H- a little Huntsville, Huntsville connection there. I like it. You excited? <laughs> well, Cade's not from Huntsville. He is from uh, Jacksonville. Uh, so, you, you got the Ville right there. AJ Russell, I think, is why you said Huntsville because we were having a conversation. There you go. About AJ Russell on the baseball podcast and how his family is from Huntsville. Uh-huh. Uh, but no, uh, the, the nephew of Brody Croyle. And uh, many other former Alabama graduates and Alabama football players, Kate Phillips is from Jacksonville, Alabama, which is uh, where Jackson, South Alabama, where Jacksonville State is. Correct. That that man, look at you connect the dots there. I've look actually at you connect the dots. I've covered a football game there, so that's, a, that's the only reason I knew that. But yeah, it's uh, I I had uh, those four thirty first pitches are, are not ideal for me either because the wife gets off at three o'clock and I had to do the whole meter at UT Medical and pass little knocks off as well. So uh, Tennessee needs to win these last three home games in order to win the SEC regular season championship. And then I think it's got to split the road games to Carolina and Bama. And if they do that and they can go four and one to end this five game stretch, I think Tennessee is your SEC regular season champion. And could be a one seed in the tournament. You never, you never, never know. Thanks for being here, Ben. Appreciate it, man. And I guess I will see you uh, here in just a couple hours. Unfortunately so. See you, Wes. <laughs> there's that button and now i can say thank you for listening to this edition of the go vols 24 7 podcast we always say that but we always mean it 
Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. You can find all of us on social media. I'm Wes Rucker 24-7 on Twitter. Ben McKee is Ben McKee 14 on Twitter. Ryan Callahan is Ryan Callahan 24-7 on Twitter. And Patrick Brown is P Brown 24-7 on Twitter. And if you just want Tennessee news on Twitter, nothing else, you can get that at twitter.com slash govals 24-7. You can also go to facebook.com slash govals 24-7 where we update that throughout the day, all day, every day, mostly with Tennessee news, uh, but also with news that we think Falls fans will find interesting. Uh, But if you want that best, most delicious East Tennessee Smoky Mountain spring water directly from the source, go get that at GoVols247.com, the best site on all of Al Gore's internets for coverage of Tennessee football, football recruiting, basketball, basketball recruiting, Tennessee baseball. Nobody, and I mean nobody, covers Tennessee baseball the way that we do. Also, no one covers the Lady Vols that we do. The award-winning Maria Cornelius does an excellent job covering all things Lady Vols for us all season long. You can get all of that at GoVols247.com. You've also got access there to two forums that run around the clock, got the checkerboard and the summit, where you can go 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and discuss anything you want that is not political or religious in nature with us, with thousands of Tennessee fans across the world, and with us who are on the staff. Uh, and, and no one has a more uh, active board with the, the staff members than us. We are proud to be there all the time answering any question that you've got, and you get all of that for less than the price of one mediocre lunch per month. That is all that it costs, and that's after a quick free trial. And once you pay us that reasonable rate, which is, again, less than one mediocre lunch per month, you get access in perpetuity to Paramount Plus, uh, which is an excellent, growing behemoth of a streaming arm there with us here at CBS, Paramount, Viacom, etc. You get every show CBS has ever made commercial-free. You get new movies. You get classic movies that rotate in every single month. Uh, You also get just tons of original content, tons of great original Paramount Plus content. And you also uh, get access to the vaults of uh, Nickelodeon, uh, Smithsonian, uh, MTV, BET, Comedy Central, something for the entire family. All of that, all of that for less than the price of one mediocre lunch per month. That That is so much stuff. So much stuff. That's a bunch of stuff. Less than one lunch a month. That's all that it costs. So go to GoVols247.com and do that. Take advantage of that. Tell your friends to go do that. Again, thank you for listening. You can always go subscribe to us on every content uh, item, everywhere you can get a podcast. You can get this podcast. So please go do that. Thank you for listening again. And uh, be kind to each other, guys. Just try to be kind to each other. There's just not nearly enough people in this world being kind to each other and having basic human empathy and dignity. Let's be better to each other. Let's be good. See you guys.